You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled, The Ugly Duckling, Part 3 of 3. Enjoy. Father, we thank you for the great things that you're doing in our lives. Things that we know about and things we haven't perceived yet. Lord, thank you for unveiling more of yourself to us today. Thank you for peeling back, Lord, uh, more of you, for showing us more of who you are, for unveiling more of your healing life and power and strength, for unveiling more of your wisdom and anointing. Thank you, Lord God, for taking us higher right now by your Spirit. We're relying on you Holy Spirit, to do all that you want to do in our lives, we've given you right of way. And we say, Holy Spirit, go. Have your way in us, in this place, this morning. We open our ears, we open our eyes, speak to our hearts, transform and change and mold and shape us as only you can do through your word. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Well, on Easter Sunday, two Sundays ago, we shared a message called The Ugly Duckling. And we're going to finish that up today. We've taken Easter Sunday and last Sunday, and today we'll finish it up today. And we began talking about two ugly ducklings. And the first one is Jesus, the Son of Man. And just like the ugly duckling, he was despised and he was rejected. And he did that for us. He was condemned. He was uh, crucified. He suffered. He died as our substitute. Very important to understand that. He did that for you. But on the third day, he rose again as our elder brother. And we talked about that uh, last week, and we also began talking about the second ugly duckling last week, and that's you and me, right? Now, a question, are you an ugly duckling? No. no, you're not, right? You know that, don't you? You're not an ugly duckling. Do you spend much time thinking about the image that you have of yourself? What is the image of yourself? Do you think of yourself as just another person? On, on the third rock from the sun? Do you think of yourself as below average, as insignificant? We saw last week that our image changes of ourselves when we begin to believe what God says about us instead of what others may have said, right? Our image of ourselves comes from the words that we've chosen to believe about ourselves over the years, and a lot of things are said to us or about us from the time we're, we're in the womb, really, right? from the time we're babies. Relatives come by, say all kinds of things. Oh, they're just like Uncle Jerry. They're never going to do that. Or, oh, he's going to be just like Aunt so-and-so. She's going to be just like Aunt so-and-so, whatever, right? They'll compare you to other people, and they'll label you, and their expectations for your life are what some relative you don't know right, did 20 years ago. And, they, and, they, and that's what they're believing for your life. Don't accept those things. You're not Aunt Jerry, Aunt Jenny, and Uncle Jerry, right? I had an Aunt Jenny. She was a lot of fun. But, but you're not the people who've lived before you. You're brand new. 
You've never existed before. You're custom made by God. We saw last week that you're his child, that you're fearfully, wonderfully, marvelously made in Psalm 139, 14. You're a marvelous work of God, that you're, you're Christ's ambassador in the earth. You're a brand new creation. You're brand new. So when parents have a baby, they should say, wow, here's a brand new creation, free from all the junk of the past, not going to be like aunt so-and-so and uncle so-and-so. Here's a new handcrafted, custom-made human being that God has made that has an amazing future and purpose. That's who you are, right? We saw that and we looked at 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21. I hope you spent some time in there this week. so that your image, so that you can see who you really are. You're not an ugly duckling. You're a child of God. In Ephesians 2.10, we saw that that you're handcrafted, you're God's handiwork, and that he has prepared a good life for you that's greater than you've dreamed of or imagined. That's what's dangerous about letting the past set your standard for the future. The past is behind us. It's history. We have a bright future ahead of us. So we're going to finish this up by spending a little bit more time uh, developing a clearer image of ourselves. And we're going to do that by looking at Jesus. All right? You say, well, how are we going to develop a clearer image of ourselves by looking at Jesus? He's Jesus and I'm me. Well, you'll find that the image you have of yourself will change as you behold Jesus, as you spend time meditating on who Jesus is and what he's done for you, you'll find that the image you have of yourself will begin to change. When we look at Jesus, we see who we were made to be. Why is that? Well, this is something that's very important to understand but not a lot of believers understand or realize this. Jesus fulfilled two roles. He was our substitute, absolutely. But he was also our example. And we don't want to confuse the two. What do we mean by that? Jesus was our substitute in certain things, and he was our example in other things. Well, what was he our substitute in? The things in which Jesus was our substitute, we cannot do. For example, in John chapter 1, John the Baptist saw Jesus and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was the only one who could do that. We can't do that. He was the one and only Lamb of God. He was the one and only born of a virgin by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was, as he said in John 14, 6, he was the way. He is the way, the truth, the life. No one can come to the Father but through him. He's the one and only mediator between God and man. See, in that sense, he is our substitute, and only he could do those things. Now, in in other areas, however, he's our example. And in the areas in which he's our example, we're made for these things. We're made to do these things. Such as when Jesus came to earth and we became a man, he shocked religious leaders because he had this vibrant relationship with God as his father. 
he would talk of God as his father, and that made religious people really mad to call Jehovah, Yahweh, your very own father? Who do you think you are? But in that, he is our example. He exampled for us this vibrant, victorious relationship with God as our father. And you were made for that. He exampled for us what it's like to live this relationship and to tell others about it, to to let this good news of God's amazing love come off our lips and to heal and set people free. That you are made for. That, That, we could say it this way. Jesus was not only an example for us, but of us. Okay? He was the firstborn among many brethren. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Let's look at this. When you begin to realize that Jesus was not only your substitute, but your example, your template, it changes the way you live. It changes the way you see yourself. Now, you know at Highway Church, we're absolutely crazy about this book here. We treasure and value the Bible above all else. Not as a religious book. It's not a religious book. There are many who try and make it one, but it's not. Right? We don't treasure the letter of this book. We treasure the spirit of it. The letter kills, the spirit makes alive and sets free. Very important to understand that. This is a book unlike any other. In the New Testament, you're in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, for the New Testament was written in Greek. And just the New Testament alone, if I remember correctly, there are well over 20,000 original manuscripts to validate what we have this morning. There is no other writing, historically, archaeologically speaking, that even comes close to the New Testament. You can take all of the classical works, Plato, Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, you can take all of those, Shakespeare, put them all together, and the actual physical manuscripts they have to validate them are very few. Nothing compares to what you're holding in your hand in terms of its validity. It is a treasure. And we treasure this word. We look to this word for answers. If you want God to talk to you, open this book and start reading. If you want to learn the sound of his voice, start reading. And many are trying to hear from God apart from this book, and you will inevitably get off track. God has given us this book, and many have abused it, many have misinterpreted it, many have wrongly preached it, but it doesn't change the power in this book. All right? And we treasure this book at Highway Church because in the Holy Bible, we learn three vitally important things. And the greatest and the foremost is this who Christ is. Changes everything. See, it's in the Bible that we learn Christ is love. That love isn't a feeling that comes and goes. Love is a person, and his name is Jesus. We learn that in the Bible. We learn that Jesus wants to be our good shepherd, if we'll let him. That he's the good shepherd. That he's the healer. That he's our provider. That he's our protector. 
that he's our creator. We learn this in the Holy Bible. But not only do we learn who Christ is, the second vitally important thing that we learn in the Holy Bible is what Christ has done for us. We learn in Matthew 8.17, Isaiah 53.4, and 1 Peter 2.24 that Christ himself bore our sicknesses and carried our diseases. And so many believers, since I've uh, been walking the Lord, they'll ask God to heal them, failing to realize they don't need to ask him. They need to take it. They need to realize that he's bore this. It has nothing to do with them anymore and grab a hold of it and not say, Father, heal me. Say, Father, thank you. You have healed me. You put this junk on your son, Jesus, and with the stripes that wounded Jesus, I am healed. I refuse to allow this sickness to be in my life and in my body anymore because of what you did through your son, Jesus. It changes the way we live. We learn that he took the punishment that we deserved so that we could be made whole, so that we could have peace. And the third thing, the third vitally important thing that we learn in the Holy Bible, we learn who Christ is, what he's done for us, and then we learn who we are in him. That's why we value this. You see, Satan's desperately trying to keep people from realizing these three things. That's the foundation of our relationship here. What, who Christ is, what he's done, and who we are in him. That's when we say at Highway Church, our purpose is to bring people into relationship. Well, that's the foundation of it right there. Who he is, what he's done for us, and who we are in him. So Satan's trying to keep people from knowing these things because he realizes that, that when they begin to understand these things and accept these things, that their image of themselves will be changed forever. And they'll no longer think of themselves as just another person on planet Earth or an ugly duckling or insignificant, but they'll begin to realize that they're, they're a one-of-a-kind, marvelous work of God, and they have a great purpose in the Earth. Amen. You ever hear that song, Nine to Five? <laughs> Is that Dolly Parton? Who sang that song? Back in the 80s. I just thought of that. You know, people get in this mindset of, I'm just on earth working nine to five. You know, got to get a good job, try and make ends meet, and hopefully get a house someday, and hope my kids will do well. We're not like that. No. Right? We're marvelous works of God. We have, a, we, we have a vision that God's given us for our life. It's not about nine to five. It's a 24-7 destiny. Glory right? Yes. Hallelujah. So let's, we're, you're in 2 Corinthians, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 2. These three things are clearly unveiled in the New Testament. Who Christ is, what he's done for us, and who we are in him. They're clearly unveiled in the New Testament, much more than in the Old Testament. They're in the Old Testament, but the New Testament changes everything. And in 2 Corinthians, we're, we're reading the writings of Paul, and Paul is an interesting fellow. He was not one of the original 12 disciples. He, in fact, he was a man that was very zealous for God, but he didn't know who God is. And he ended up persecuting God's people. 
He ended up uh, persecuting them, arresting them. Um, when Stephen was stoned, Saul was his name at the time. Paul stood there and gave his approval to it. He wanted God's people to be stoned. But something happened. Jesus appeared to Paul, Saul, who became Paul. And Jesus revealed himself to this man. And this man was so hungry for God. You know, that's one of the prerequisites of hearing from God, is being hungry for him. You got to want him more than you want anyone or anything else. And that's just a choice. It'll be very hard to hear from God when you're not hungry for him. So this man was hungry from God and God appeared to him and he introduced himself and said, I'm Jesus. And not only that, but he personally taught Paul the revelation of who he is, what he did for us, and who we are in him. And you see it oozing in the writings of Paul. And here we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and you see how much Paul valued and treasured the word of God. Uh, Verse 17, he says, For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. So Paul realized that there were many, he says, who were corrupting the word of God. And boy, we know that to be true. Many are corrupting it, using it for their own agenda or putting people in bondage with it. And you know at Highway Church, our goal is not to add anything to the word of God or take anything away from it. We're determined to let God be God. Now, we all make mistakes, but our goal is to let God be God. And if we miss it, we want to quickly shift and and, and repent and say, go God. You know, we want to exalt him. We don't have an agenda. Our agenda is Jesus, right? We want to know him more. That's our plan. That's why we're here. So we let God be God. We let his word be word. We don't try and make it fit into our life experience. We actually apply his word to our life and change our life experience. So then he continues in verse uh, 1 of chapter 3. He says, do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation? Do we need to go to a seminary and have man stamp us with approval to you or letters of commendation from you? Verse 2, you are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men, Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit. This is not a man-made thing. This is something the Spirit of the living God has done, not on tablets of stone like in the Old Covenant, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. And this is where God is taking us, into the freedom of his Holy Spirit, where we're not looking for man's stamp of approval on our lives and ministry, but where we know that Christ is all the validation we need. He says, do I need some letter from some institution to validate what Christ has done in your life? I came to you and I preached to you the good news. You received it and your life was changed. That's the letter of commendation that you need is the evidence of Christ in your life. Do I need a a certificate from from a university to validate the ministry that you've experienced? Can't don't you know that the evidence, the fruit of the the gospel I've preached to you is all the the validation and the certificate and degree that I need? So God's taking us into this. See, insecure we're not gonna allow insecurity to rob us anymore. 
We're not going to allow people's opinions of us to rob us anymore. We're, we're valid because God made us. And boy, the enemy will try and take you to a place where you've got to have so-and-so validate you in order for you to go forward. But God wants all of us to be in the place where just because he's our father, that's enough for us. Just because he says so, that's all the degree we need. That's all the letters of commendation we need. That's the only certificate we need is his yes in our lives. Amen. Then he goes on in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14. Let's see. Well, let me just touch on verses 9 and following. We don't have time to read all this. But verses 9 and following, he starts comparing the old covenant with the new covenant. And look what he calls the, the, the old covenant. He calls it the ministry of death. <laughs> in verses 9 through 13. Wow. The ministry of death. That's pretty serious. But he calls this new covenant, it's the ministry of life. It's a ministry of the spirit. And he says this new covenant that we have far exceeds the old covenant. And the old covenant was glorious. The Red Sea parted for them, right? Amazing things happening. It was glorious. But the glory that we have far exceeds it. All right? And then in verse 14, he says, but their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away, how? In Christ. You can't understand the Bible apart from faith in Christ. You can't. When you put your faith in Christ, then the Bible's unlocked. Then you begin to understand who Christ is what he's done for you, and who you are in him. When Paul, when Jesus appeared to Paul, he didn't know who he was. He said, who are you, Lord? Right? He said, I'm Jesus. And when he put his faith in Jesus, then he began to understand what it was all about. So this veil is removed. This wrong image of yourself is removed through faith in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. This is verse 15. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, to Jesus, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Paul is talking about the spiritual reality that was visibly seen when Jesus died. The veil in the temple was torn in two. It's recorded in the Gospels from top to bottom. And that's a veil that was so strong that it, historically they say you could hit, hitch a team of oxen to either side and they, it, it was very difficult to tear because of the way that it was made. And it tore, so this veil has been removed, it's been torn, it's been taken away through Christ. This ugly duckling image that's, that, that people have had of themselves is taken away when we look to Christ. Verse 18, but we all with open or unveiled face beholding as in a glass or a mirror the glory of the Lord. What is he talking about? Well, he's talking about the reading of the word, isn't he? He said, when this word is read, their minds are veiled, but not us. When we read the word, that veil is taken away and we see the Lord. And we see our image, and we are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. 
This is very powerful. When we put our faith in Christ and we read the scriptures and see who Jesus is, what he's done for us, and who we are in him, our image of ourselves is changed. We are changed and made more like him each day. Wow. You see, Jesus came to show us what it's like to live life on planet earth being God's child. They couldn't kill him. He had to let them arrest him. If you look early, we saw it in Luke. Uh, we're in, we were in what chapter? We finished 11 this week in our one-a-day plan. But did you see earlier there when, when Jesus first went into the temple? I think it's in chapter 4. And they, they dragged him. They took him out of the temple to the edge of the cliff. They wanted to throw him over. But he just walked right on through the crowd. Wasn't time yet. He said, no, not time yet. I'll, I'll let you in a little while, but not now. <laughs> right? I've got work to do. This is the life he's called us to. Hallelujah. So Jesus is our example. Right? We're looking to him so that our image of ourselves changes and reflects his glory. So that we see ourselves differently. We see ourselves doing what he did. And I love Jesus in Luke chapter 2, and we read that two weeks ago. Luke chapter 2, you see Jesus as a boy at age 12. We don't have time to go there, but I encourage you to read that. And understand, it says in Luke chapter 2 that he uh, left his family to go to church. And his family didn't know where he was, and he was studying the scriptures in church, listening to the teachers and asking questions. We see that as a boy, studying the scriptures and going to church was more important to Jesus than his own family. Same should be true of us. Right? Nothing's more important to us than studying the scriptures, being in church, learning about who we are in Christ. Had nothing to do with religion. We want him. We want to know him more. And nothing's going to pull us away from it. Hallelujah. And it says he, he grew and increased in wisdom and stature in Luke chapter 2. When you make him a priority in your life, make reading his word, make being a church a priority, not because of religion, because you want to know him, you'll grow. And you'll begin to realize who you are. See, when we study the scriptures, we realize Jesus did come to earth as a man. And he had to learn his purpose by studying the scriptures. Isn't that amazing? He wasn't on autopilot. He had to daily make decisions to daily make God his priority. He had to daily do that, just like we do. And he did it. Glory to God, he did it. Right? And look what Jesus says in John 14. Let's go there. John 14. Boy, he just knocks the religion right off of you. He just, he just breaks every chain. He sets you free. You remember his parents' response to him, right? When they found him, they looked for three days, they couldn't find him. Which tells you what? God wasn't their priority, right? He was in church. That should have been the first place they checked. Luke chapter 2, right? It was the last place they looked. They looked among their family and relatives they were traveling with. They probably went to Kmart and Shaw's and looking all over the place. They should have went to church. See? See, if God's not your priority, you won't know where to look for him. Right? It's our decision to make him our priority, isn't it? 
And no one can do that for us. We value and treasure him more than anyone or anything, even our own family. John 14, verse 12. Here's our example talking. Look what he says. Verily, verily, I say unto you that he that believes on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these. He's talking about you, isn't he? If you believe on him, does that change your image of yourself? See, religion puts Jesus way off in the distance, right, and separates you from him and says what he did was something unique and special and all the people he healed and set free, but that was just once and that was it. He's gone now. And basically, we've got to struggle and get through this life, hopefully, and then when we go to heaven, then okay, things will be better if we get there, if we don't have to stop in a purgatory first, right? Jesus never said that. There's no teaching in the Bible about purgatory because it doesn't exist. We're just setting you free, all right? There's a place called heaven and there's a place called hell, and there's nothing in between. And if you've put your faith in Christ, heaven is your home, right? Pass, go, collect $200. It's a guaranteed deal, right? Heaven is your home. But God wants you to experience his kingdom now in your life. Whoo, boy. I'm really trying to keep the reins on my tongue here. I want to make sure I'm saying the right thing. So Jesus went about, it says in Acts 10, 38, uh, doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. He said, the things that I do, you're going to do. We go about doing good and healing all that are oppressed of the devil. So, I mean, I'm, I'm on alert when I go somewhere, I'm out in the mall or anywhere, and I meet someone who's bound. I don't automatically say anything to them because I, I want to be led by the Lord, but I'm ready. You know, if they're, whatever they're involved in, or I can see there's an issue in their life, they need help. Boy, I'm saying, okay, God, do you want me to help them here? <laughs> you know, because you want to be led by the Spirit. Right. You can't just right. burst into someone's life and pray for them. It doesn't work. They've got to be ready to receive it. But but we're ready. We're just like Jesus, right, where he's our elder brother, so we're ready to go about doing good and set people free. John 15, verses 7 and 8. This is our, our template talking. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire. Isn't that funny how religious, religion makes us afraid to ask God? And here's Jesus saying, if you abide in me, words abide in you, you're going to ask. It's a natural byproduct of being in relationship with me. You ask. Actually, though, the Greek word there really connotates demanding. In other words, like when he spoke to the fig tree. In other words, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will demand and it will be done for you. Not that you're demanding from God, but you're speaking to the situations and circumstances of your life. And he says in verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, that you take authority over the circumstances of your life, and so you will be my disciples. All right, let's get to our last scripture here. Mark chapter 11. I want you to believe with me. I'm just trusting God that everything that needs to be said will be said. In the time that we have, I'm trusting God for him to do supernatural things in our lives during this time together. 
He's greater than the clock, isn't he? Yes. He can do it in a moment. All we got to do is trust him. Hallelujah. Mark chapter 11. Now here's Jesus. In this case, he's our example. Mark chapter 11, a day in the life of our example. A day in the life of the one whose image we're being changed into. And he's walking. He's just he's, he's going about. He's being led by the Spirit. He ends up, they leave Bethany. They go into the temple in Jerusalem. And uh, actually, I think it's before in Mark 11, where he uh, is hungry. And he speaks to, he sees a fig tree in the distance. And he's hungry. So he says, okay, it's, it's fig newton time. And he goes over to the tree, and there's no figs on the tree. And he does something. And I believe he did this to, to, to demonstrate to, his, to us what we could do. I don't really think it was a fig issue. I think it was more of a, a, a Jesus, this is, how, this is what you can do issue. And he said to the tree, he said, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. Because if he wanted to, he could have spoken figs, could have popped out. But he said, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. Oh, boy. What did Adam and Eve do in the garden after they sinned? What did they do to try and cover themselves? Fig leaves. What did he speak to? A fig tree. He spoke to the man-made, man's man-made method of trying to be righteous. And he said, may no one ever try and do that again. May they find their righteousness through faith in me. See, Adam fell. He knew he did wrong. So they covered themselves with fig leaves as if that made a difference, you know? But that's what religion does. Tries to get you to do all these things to cover yourself, but it doesn't. And inside, you know, you keep trying. But Jesus said, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. May no one ever look to the fruit of man's religion again. May they put their faith in me and be made new. Glory to God. So he continues, I think he continues into the temple, and he, he tells all the thieves to take a hike. He kicks them out, right? And, and then they go, they go out, and it's the next morning as Mark records it, and the disciples pass the tree, and they call his attention to it and say, Master, behold, the tree that you, that you cursed is dead now from the roots up, right? It's dried up, which is a supernatural way for a tree to die, and I love what Jesus says. This is the difference between Jesus and religion, right? Religion would, would record his response as saying, well, of course it did because I'm this unique, powerful son of God, and this is just what I do, and that's it, right? Jesus never talked like that, not once. You won't find one example of him separating you from him you'll find many examples of him inviting you to step into this new life. And this is what he says. Have faith in God. In the Greek, actually, it says have the faith of God. I have a footnote in my Bible about that, but that's how the Greek, if you study the wording in the Greek, he says have the faith of God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, whether it's a tree or a mountain or anything in between, be removed and be cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Now pay attention to verse 24. Therefore I say unto you, what those things soever you desire when you pray. Here we go. 
Different image of prayer. What's he talking about? Going through your day and speaking to things. He calls that prayer. Religion calls prayer falling on your face and crying out to God. Jesus is saying when you go through life and speak to the situations and circumstances in your life, that's prayer. Religion wants you to debase yourself and cry out hoping God will hear you. Jesus says just believe. What things soever you desire, when you speak, we could say. When you speak to the situations and circumstances of your life, believe that you receive them and you'll have them. Don't you know that our template, before he spoke to that fig tree, he knew what would happen. And when he spoke, he was convinced it was done. Right? Are you ready for one more translation of Mark 11? Mark 11, 22. This is the message translation. Jesus was matter of fact. What did he say? Let's all read it together. Embrace this God life. If that's not an invitation, I don't know what one is. Embrace this life that I'm exampling before you. Do what I do. Believe as I believe. Embrace this God life. Really embrace it. Boy, we are out of time. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. So our image is changing, right? Yes. Our image of ourselves is changing. We're looking at and we're meditating on Jesus and we realize we're not ugly ducklings. We're beautiful swans. We're royal. We're graceful. We're redeemed. We're new creations in Christ Jesus. We see ourselves differently now. And we're not going to let man change that. We're not going to let man's words change the vision and image we have of ourselves because, man, we are focused on our template. We're focused on Jesus, and we're going forward in his plan and purpose for our lives. God is our Father. We're his children. We're his ambassadors. We're his new creations. We're his custom-made, one-of-a-kind people in the earth. Amen. Father, we thank you. Yes, you praise him. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you so much. You've saved us. You've delivered us and set us free. And we give you glory, Father. Go ahead, Lord. Yes, hallelujah. Thank you for life abundantly, Lord. We love you and worship you. And Lord, we're thankful right now that you are working in our midst through your word. You're changing us, Lord. You're setting us to completely free from any little, any little ropes that would have been holding us back or breaking right now. Any wrong thoughts, any wrong images, you're changing right now. We are free indeed, free completely. And we thank you for doing it, Father. We thank you in Jesus' name, and we love you. We worship you, and we desire more of you. And we thank you for giving us more and more and more, more of your life, more of your love, more of your strength, more of your provision, Lord. We love you and thank you for it, God. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Father. And Lord, I pray for everyone here this morning. I bless them in the name of Jesus Christ. 
And I pray, Father, that they would experience you this week like never before, that you would be on their minds and in their hearts, that they would look to you to solve every issue, every problem from the tiniest to the greatest. I thank you, Lord, that we hear your voice and we know your voice. And I bless everyone here this morning. I thank you, God, by your grace and by your spirit that they will be this week in the right place at the right time, that you are causing them to prosper and to be in health and to be victorious in every area of their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. At Highway Church, we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life He came to give you. If you'd like to learn more about God's amazing love for you, please visit us at highwaychurch.us. You can email us at info at highwaychurch.us or message us via our Facebook page. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good He is.